Hi, everybody. It's Jackson here with your Heritage Minute for the month of July. Sort of. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Uh, this has been maybe, at least to me, what feels like the busiest month in NHL history, uh, which would make sense given the uh, amount of different unique events that have been compressed into the span of a couple of weeks. And it has totally kicked my ass. So we ended up pretty far behind on where we were supposed to be. And it is now 8.50 p.m. on the evening of July 30th. And we had no plans for the Patreon content for this month. So I have taken matters into my own hands um, by doing something a little different for this month. I have recently decided to start working on a long-term project. I don't know exactly what form it's going to take yet, but I wanted to essentially chart a history of culture, class struggle, politics in BC and Canada at large through hockey and specifically the Vancouver Canucks. Um, so what I have decided to do here is essentially preview what that content might look like by telling the story of Larry Kwong. Um, it's a great story, one that is starting to get more attention from the hockey world at large, uh, but that attention lags significantly behind where it should be based on his accomplishments and his story and what he did. I've written a narrative that spans his entire life. It's not particularly long, so I don't know if uh, this episode is really going to rival the length that our listeners are used to on the Patreon, but hopefully it tides all of you over until Fias and Elliot and I can get together to hopefully record two Heritage Minutes for next month, but no promises. So, without further ado, here is the story of Larry Kwong, former trail smoke eater, resident of Vernon, B.C., and the player who broke the NHL's color barrier. Larry Kwong was born in 1923 in Vernon, B.C., the second youngest of 15 children born to Eng Shu Kwong, a failed prospector who had immigrated to Canada in 1884 during the gold rush, and his two wives. His parents named him Eng Kai Gyeong, but he adopted the name Kwong after his father's grocery store. Just two weeks after he was born, the Canadian government of liberal William Lyon Mackenzie King enacted the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1923, which prohibited Chinese immigrants from entering Canada. 
The interior of British Columbia was a hostile place for Chinese Canadians, and Kwong frequently faced racial discrimination while growing up in Vernon, including once being denied service at a barbershop. Kwong was an avid pond shinny player, but didn't give organized hockey a shot until 1939, when he was 16. He was an instant sensation for the Vernon Hydrophones, powering them first to a midget championship and then to a provincial title in 1941. He then tried out for senior hockey as an 18-year-old, earning a spot with the semi-professional Trail Smoke Eaters, who had won the 1939 World Ice Hockey Championships. Sports writers love to say that journeyman players or struggling teams are fighting for their survival. But when Larry Kwong showed up in trail as an 18-year-old, that's literally what he was doing. It took a long time for the hockey world to catch on to the importance of Larry's story, and most accounts were written long after the fact. In most retellings, Larry is cast as a kid who used to huddle around the radio listening to Foster Hewitt and dream of one day playing in the NHL. And I'm sure that's probably true to some extent. But to hear Larry tell it, Hockey wasn't really about living out a dream. It was about being able to find work, particularly as a Chinese-Canadian. Quote, In my days, we played hockey to get a job. Jobs were hard to get in those days. Those were the things that we had to fight against. In trail, most players who made the roster got good-paying jobs at a local smelter. But Kwong was denied because of his Chinese heritage and was forced to get a low-paying job as a bellhop at a nearby hotel. That racism carried over to the rink, too. As Kwong would put it to a reporter in 1944, the fans like to see a Chinese player as a curiosity. That's my good luck. But it also has its disadvantages. There has always been a player or two trying to cut off my head because I was Chinese, and the bigger the league, the bigger the acts they use. Still, Kwong's efforts appeared to be paying off. He put up 22 points in 29 games in his season with the Smoke Eaters and caught the attention of the Chicago Blackhawks, who invited him to training camp in 1942. If Larry had been a white farm boy from Saskatchewan, it might have been his big break, but Larry was Chinese and living at the height of anti-Asian hysteria in Canada with the breakout of the Second World War, and the Canadian government refused to file the paperwork to allow Kwong to legally leave and re-enter the country. So, Larry went back to semi-pro, playing a season with the Clippers in Nanaimo and another in Vancouver. Then Larry was drafted into the Army. The country that wouldn't let Larry cross the border for a tryout was now forcing him to enlist. Many other Chinese Canadians like Larry would go on to fight for the Allies in Germany and Japan, giving their lives in service of a country that hadn't even given them the right to vote. But Larry was one of the lucky ones. He got to play hockey to entertain the troops, alongside a couple of NHLers. He played well enough to catch the attention of Lester Patrick, who scouted Larry when he returned to trail after the war, and offered him a tryout. In hockey parlance, Larry Kwong was a late bloomer who had clawed his way up from midget, proving himself and earning a top-line spot at every level he'd played at, all while under significant stress off the ice. That's the kind of story that gets you a 10-minute segment with Ron McLean on Hometown Hockey and a sponsorship with Tim Hortons before you're even drafted, if it happens now. But for Larry, who wouldn't even earn the right to vote in Canada for another year, a shot with the Rangers was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And, once again, Larry seized it. He scored a goal in his debut for the New York Rangers minor league affiliate, the Rovers, against the Boston Olympics on October 27, 1946. And later, in November, he was presented with the key 
to New York's Chinatown by unofficial Chinatown mayor, Shavy Lee. He followed up an impressive rookie season with a lights-out 47-48 campaign that saw him lead the Rovers with 57 points in 48 games. And finally, on March 13, 1948, he did something that seems inevitable in retrospect based on how he'd performed at every level thus far. On March 13, 1948, Larry Kwong played in the NHL, donning a Rangers jersey to lace up against the Canadians at the Montreal Forum. It was a monumental moment in NHL history. Not even a year had passed since Jackie Robinson's first ever plate appearance in Major League Baseball, and Larry Kwong had just broken hockey's color barrier. He was destined for greatness. With his youth, speed, and offensive profile, Kwong was primed for a long NHL career. And he played one shift. <laughs> Rangers coach and general manager Frank Boucher kept Larry glued to the bench until the very end of the third period, when he was tapped on the shoulder and skated for less than a minute in garbage time. It would go down as his only NHL appearance. Larry spent the rest of the season watching other Rovers players get called up to the big leagues, but never got another chance despite leading the team in scoring. Fed up and convinced he was never going to get a real shot with the Rangers, Larry accepted a more lucrative deal with the Valleyfield Braves of the Quebec Senior Hockey League. For most hockey fans, this is where Larry's story ends. His nine seasons with Valleyfield simply a footnote in the careers of Habs greats like Jean Beliveau and Jacques Plante. Larry Kwong averaged over a point a game over his tenure with the Braves in a league that regularly produced NHL talent, but never got a shot in the bigs again. That part of Larry's story is generally considered a tragedy when looked at in the cold light of day, and in many ways it is, but for us, not for Larry. Larry Kwong could have been the Jackie Robinson of the NHL and gotten a generation of Chinese immigrants interested in North American sports over a half century before Lin Sanity, but the league wasn't ready for him. Larry, on the other hand, finally had the job security he was always looking for, and he earned it doing something he was great at. So the NHL wasn't ready for him. He played anyway. And when he was done, he went to Europe. He played a few seasons in England with the Nottingham Panthers, where he met his wife and scored a whopping 55 goals in 55 games in one season. I can't imagine what hockey in England was like in the 1960s, but I imagine watching Larry's season with Nottingham was probably something like watching Sidney Crosby go full tilt against those Timbits hockey players that he does the commercials with. When he was done there, he moved to Switzerland and led his team in scoring as a player coach. He eventually transitioned to coaching full-time and then eventually into working as a tennis instructor. Larry had only intended to be in Europe for a little while, but by the time he returned to BC to run the family grocery store, he'd been there nearly 15 years almost as long as his entire North American hockey career. The next 30 years weren't especially kind to Larry. He was twice widowed between 1979 and 1999, and had both his legs amputated in the early aughts due to poor circulation. But he still managed to make it to the gym three times a week, even into old age. He eventually retired to Calgary and died peacefully in his home on March 15, 2018. Towards the end of his life, he finally started to get the recognition he deserved. 
He received countless awards for his contributions to hockey and his struggles against anti-Asian racism, and even had a movie made about his life. A schoolteacher from his hometown of Vernon launched a petition to induct Larry into the Beastie Sports Hall of Fame, and in 2013, 65 years after his lone NHL appearance, it succeeded. But as of 2021, Larry has still not been enshrined in the Hockey Hall of Fame. In spite of the myriad ways racism reared its ugly head over the course of Larry's career, he maintained that his teammates always accepted him. Even most of the fans came around eventually, once they realized he could play. The worst indignities he suffered came mainly at the hands of the state, or when he was trying to get a job. Even when he was among the best people in the world at what he did, he never got a real shot in the NHL. Basically because management didn't like him, almost certainly because of his race. Larry Kwong made his own history, but he did not make it as he pleased. The game, the country, and maybe even the world weren't ready for him. As a result, his impact on hockey was dampened significantly, and there are many others like him who we'll probably never know about. To me, the story of Larry Kwong is even more important than the story of Jackie Robinson. Robinson was a once-in-a-millennium athlete on and off the field who had both the talent and the demeanor to break into Major League Baseball on its terms by being a consummate professional and reinforcing the dominant culture's narratives of meritocracy. His career remains the single greatest achievement in the history of professional sports. But the story of racism in pro sports isn't one of triumph. It's one of heartbreak, pain, and frustration. The avatar of racial oppression in sports isn't Jackie Robinson. It's Larry Kwong, a player who came up from nothing, did everything right, overcame every obstacle on his path to the bigs, and then got completely written off. He was an iconoclast, a renaissance man, and a trailblazer of professional hockey on both sides of the Atlantic. And most hockey fans don't even know his name, because the league, the country, and the world isn't a meritocracy. It wasn't then, and it isn't now. Well, that's all I got. Uh, Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. It was very short, and upon reading it out loud, it felt very bad. (laughs) But uh, hopefully you all learned something or felt something, and... um, you needed content, goddammit. I owe it to you. We will be back to our regular scheduled programming next month. Thanks for listening, guys.